searching for the meaning of life. On what certainties should we build our lives and the life of the community to which we belong? I have come to know among you nothing but Christ and Him crucified. What matters is that I believe it, or rather know, not that I believe it, but that I believe it. We have hope. Someone who's alive today could be a saint tomorrow. That makes sense. That's why Jesus came on earth. In order to set them free with the truth of the gospel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Upfront with the Archbishop. My name is Jenny Conley, your host. The goal of Upfront is to bridge the gap between the hierarchy and the faithful by discussing the truth, beauty, and challenges of our Catholic faith. Hello, Your Grace. Good to be here. Good to see you, Jenny. Good to be with you. So this is a bit of a nerdy episode. Nerdy. Yeah, okay. pretty nerdy. Um, I It was my idea, and I'm excited about this, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, yeah, it's you, just because you think maybe I'm... Nerdy myself. Where are you going with this, Jenny? Where are you going? (laughs) (laughs) I think we're, so we're talking about a little bit about your experience of doing a PhD, especially Ah. for anyone who's listening and is in within the academic world, especially young students who are, maybe they're daydreaming about being a professor one day. Um, Hmm. There can be kind of a- Or a bishop. Um, it's one of those, I mean, it's, you basically, you need a PhD. You don't need a PhD to be a bishop, but it is a pretty standard part of the process of, of, of how life unfolds when you're working within the the Catholic hierarchy and you may one day be a bishop. Would that be a correct assessment? I I wouldn't say that's standard. I think, you know, the church was certainly, I think as a general rule, look for, um, someone who's got an advanced degree. Right. So it could be at a master's level. Yeah. Um, but no, we've got, we've got, uh, bishops now that, that have, you know, a fundamental bachelor's degree, but for whatever reason had not gone on for advanced studies, yeah. but they've got the inherent gifts and the, yeah. the pastoral, pastoral heart and the, the good head that, that, that it's still obviously, uh, qualified to be bishops. Yeah, so it's, okay. it's not, it's not a, a standard thing. It's not actually a standard. Okay. That's no. good to know. Um, so the reason I'm intrigued about it because what was, what was it that you did your PhD on? It was theology. In the, in the sacramental field. Within sacramental the sacramental field. field. Okay. Yep. And yep. you wrote, did you do research? For oh, sure. A lot? So the was way I did my uh, postgraduate work over at uh, the Gregorian University in Rome. And okay. it was the Archbishop of the day in Halifax that went, uh, invited me to go for studies um, wasn't at all sure. And he may not himself have been all that sure <laughs> as to why, but he wanted me to go on for further studies. And I remember at that point saying, do you want me to go for the doctorate? And he says, yes, I'd like you to do that. So he might've had some teaching in mind, you know, for me to do, but in any case, that's what I did. And I went over and the first thing, now it, it's in a pontifical university that they speak about in terms of a licentiate and then a doctorate. Yes. The um, licentiate would be um, the secular equivalent to a master's. So I did that in dogmatic theology okay. and then went on to do the the dissertation for the doctorate. And so lots of reading is all under the guidance of a, of a thesis director, dissertation director. So here's the topic I'm thinking of and how do I go about this? And so they shepherd you through the whole thing and you need to write these many pages, these many chapters, and this is how it's all going to unfold. And so um, I was in Rome for a total of four years in residence. The first two years were the coursework and then two years writing the dissertation. And prior to the dissertation actually being completed, I was called back to Halifax to start working in parishes. And so I, I did that um, together with some other things and at the same time completed the dissertation, staying in touch with, with my director. And I was able to defend in 98, 1998. Mm. 
What does it mean to defend your dissertation? So you go before a a panel of uh, professors, theologians, they've read the dissertation and they'll, and they challenge you on it, you know? So you said this, or have you thought about this and this sort of, and uh, you kind of walk into that room. And certainly in my case, I was really kind of nervous. In fact, I remember I was in a parish in uh, Bridgewater, Nova Scotia at the time. And so I said, folks, I'm going over to Rome. And this is when the, this is the day and this is the hour of the defense. So yeah. at that time, I don't care where you are, drugstore, <laughs> grocery store, at home, on your knees, right? And pray for right. your priest because I'm going to be, and God bless them. <laughs> I don't know if they fell to their knees in the grocery store, but there were some folks back in the parish that, that gathered for prayer. That, okay, Father Richard, he's doing this now. Let's pray for him. And, and those those prayers carried me through that, <laughs> so went through well. that defense. defense. Well, I got through it. Yep, got through. I got through <laughs> it. It happened. They shook my hand afterwards. This is good. That's all I need to see. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, what was it like being a parish priest? So with all of the pastoral duties that come with that, but then also being in this, I would assume, fairly heady intellectual. Yeah, it was. A, it was a little bit of a busy time. And my, but yeah. my, I have to say though that. The two come together well. So I think if I recall the timing, I was also going up to St. Peter's Seminary to do some teaching there too. And at a certain point, I was the, the VG in Halifax. There was, a, there was a lot of stuff that was going on, but they were complementary, mutually complementary, because okay. you don't want to just stay up in your head. Um, what, you know, when you're a priest and you're studying, you want to serve. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's got, it has to have pastoral consequences and be of service to the people of God. And so to keep that all in mind at the same time as I was bringing the dissertation to an end was, was really helpful. In fact, I do recall just the way that the timeline for submission was working out. It was actually in Holy Week, whatever the year was, mm-hmm. that I was writing up those final chapters. What a penance that was. Because I'm going down to the church, I'm celebrating the liturgies for Holy Week, right? Then I'm running back up to the rectory to type oh and everything my. else. And the secretary of the parish, she was so, so good. She was coming in. So Holy Saturday evening after the vigil, we're running off the photocopier and all the different copies, getting it all together to submit it in time <gasps> to. So the, anybody listening, I would not recommend this as the way to go boat, you know, your dissertation, <laughs> uh, just the way it fell to me. But anyway, we got it all done. How many pages? Oh, like thousands or no, hundreds? no, 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 it was, I think it felt like thousands. I think it was three something, 300 and something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So a few hundred pages. So that's a book. It was you a book. A, you wrote yeah. a book. I wrote a book. Yeah. yeah. Didn't make the bestseller list, but I wrote a book. <laughs> did your, did, did your dissertation have a simple title? Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> no, it had a rather complicated <laughs> one. I, I want to know what the dissertation was on. Well, well I, was, yeah. I, was, I was I was studying the whole, the issue of the sacramental character that is that is given in baptism and confirmation of holy orders. How has that been playing out in recent theology? So I think the title I gave, if I'm remembering now, at the distance was marked with the sign of faith. That, that's a line that came from the translation at that time of the first Eucharistic prayer. Um. Oh, so that is a pretty simple title, I would say. Marked with the sign of faith. I think that's Yeah, but I think that I probably I'll, bad. I've got it. Thank you. I've, I've got, <laughs> you know, my day is made. Oh, uh, you finally when Matthew got the come, affirmation. No, you when needed. Matthew comes in and says, not bad, I'm, you know, it's I'm kind of fulfilled. There it is, right there. No, I was you know, hesitating we, because I think there was probably a a subtitle I gave. There's usually a fancy subtitle to these things and, and, and forgetting what that might've been. So. so sacramental character as in relating to the indelible mark that is left or what exactly a sacrament is. 
No, it, it has to do with, with the character itself, in virtue of which those three sacraments are never to be repeated. And sometimes in, oh. in popular thought, or even sometimes the way it's come out in, in theology over the years, it's, it has spoken of, in terms of a mark, uh, that's, as you say, indelible, not taken away. And you get this sense that, okay, if you look, if you sort of have a metaphysical microscope and you could look into the soul, you'd see this black mark or something, which, <laughs> which, which, which really isn't all that, great an understanding because it, it turns the focus in on the individual. Really what that doctrine does is point to what God is doing and what God is doing irrevocably. All right. And I think if you were to situate that particular theological doctrine within the broader ecclesiological one of the church as God's host, that God builds on Christ, builds permanently, and you have these three sacraments, which we call the constitutive sacraments upon which the church is solidly built, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, is in virtue of the fact that God has promised to build this church um, and God's promises are irrevocable, then the sacraments by which that church is constituted are by that very fact irrevocable and not to be repeated. So, And so emphasizing that the, these sacraments that leave an indelible mark they're not some form of self inversion. It's very much focused on the work of God. Everything has to it's revert back me, to me, what me God thing. is doing. And God is faithful. God never takes back his call, never takes back his promises. And so one is permanently inserted into the church and in this way through those sacraments, permanently inserted in their particular participation in God's mission that is lived out in the church. And it, it, it speaks of God's fidelity and the irrevocability of God's love and his, and his own faithfulness. I, when I was doing my undergrad, I remember there was a lot of us that definitely romanticized the process of getting a PhD. We, mm. a lot of us There's nothing romantic about it. It's <laughs> tough slugging. Really. It is. We just all wanted PhDs without a full clarity of what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give us the letters. Yeah. Without give us the, the letters. Work. It can't be that yeah. much work, right? Yeah. Just a few hundred pages of intensive thought and processing. And but you know, if, if it's something that, you love, yeah. and if it's something that really touches the heart, then then the, the work will come. Then you'll that self investment will be given, whether it's in a scientific field, economic field, or in our case, the theological field. To have this capacity and the gift to be able to ponder the scriptures, ponder the tradition, and think with the church under grace as to what this might mean in our day, or what what message the Lord might be saying, just to be have that that space and that freedom to ponder the love of God as, as reflected in the scriptures and the tradition. It's an extraordinary gift. So yeah, it's a ton of work, a lot of pressure, uh, especially when the timelines get involved. Um, but if it is something to which a person is called and attracted and, and, and moving towards perhaps an academic career, it's, it's very, very rewarding. So despite the challenges, you enjoyed the process. Sure. Oh, sure. Okay. And then of course it was a particular blessing to be able to do that in Rome, in the center of the church. And so just going to, to be near the Pope or the Holy See or the different sites in which saints are buried all through the city of Rome, you're just continually imbibing this tradition that is so vastly bigger than yourself that and you're just looking at a little portion of it, a very little drop, but you realize then and there that this little drop, as small as it might be, is part of something mysterious and, and wondrous and beautiful. Hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. Did you find that your PhD flowed thematically 
from your licentiate or your master's yeah, it degree? Did. It, it did. did. Okay. Yeah, it did. So with my my first degree, the licentiate there, that was in dogmatic theology. So you want to you you want to study as broadly as you can because you never know what you might be asked to teach at the at the end of it. And sometimes we used to joke that if you want study whatever you want, but you're probably going to be asked to teach something that you never did study and you're going to have to, huh. you know, cram for it and so on and okay. so forth. Um, but knowing that I would be moving towards the, uh, to the doctorate, and this is part of the system that was there, um, for the masters or licentiate, you write a, what they call a tesina, a short, uh, thesis, which actually can serve if you plan it well as the first chapter of your doctoral dissertation. Mm-hmm. And so it flowed in that. That's the way I pursued it anyway. It flowed well that way. So you really cared about this. You said when you were talking about uh, if someone's considering a PhD, if if you love what you're writing and researching, then that's going to help you. So you really cared about this particular element of sacramental theology. Well, it's something that always, I was kind of wondered about, you know, why those are not repeated. Yeah. And just, so I just explored that a little bit more and it just brought me into this, this beautiful mystery of what God is doing. Not, not, not so much the, the personal impact on me, but how does what has happened to me be, how is that reflective of what God is doing and God is doing permanently? Mm -hmm. So was that when you, even at the, in your years at seminary doing, um, completing philosophical studies at that level, and then eventually moving on to a master's degree or an equivalent, Mm. were you thinking about a PhD before you were formally asked? No, 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 no. Oh, you um, weren't? Even on a personal level? Well, I always enjoyed studies, you know, and I would have professors say, you might want to consider doing further studies and so on and so forth. But your immediate goal is to become a priest and to serve in a parish, right? And what, as a priest, right, what happens really can't happen apart from the determination of the bishop, right? So I think the bishop of the day knew that this this was something that might be a possibility, um, uh, and at a certain point, he took me aside and said, this is probably the time. I'm mm-hmm. all okay. And have you taught, did it. Have you taught postdoctoral little students? A little bit. Uh, postdoctoral students. No, I haven't taught at that level. Okay. I, I taught at the level of seminary. And then in Halifax, I did some teaching in lay formation programs. Okay. So, okay. so that would be at the um, that fundamental university level, the first degree level. Did you enjoy research and writing or teaching more? Uh, well, I didn't have much time really to do a lot of research and writing, you know, because well, in your I, post, in your doctorate, the, oh, in that, oh, I, like I, when I, you I, think about if you had, if you had to pick between a life of writing and research, because you know, a lot of professors they have, there's one that they prefer, you know, they did the PhD because they love the research or writing or some yeah, did it because they wanted to teach. Probably a little bit of both, but I, I, I think my heart would go more to teaching Okay, because it's, it's actually in the teaching that you begin to learn. So when I was going through the, the 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 doctoral work, a lot of people were saying, "Listen, just get it. It's your union card, as it as it were, because it's it's only when you start to teach that you really start to learn," which I found so true. So you you learn through teaching, certainly in the first instance by researching, preparing your lectures, and all that kind of thing. But also, it's it's critically important. Certainly has been for me to understand people's questions. I, I can come in with a lecture, I can come in with a talk, I can go forward with a homily, but I don't necessarily know how it's going to land in people's minds or in their hearts unless I hear their questions, mm-hmm. right? And that in itself can spur one to further research and further understanding or further insight, 
right? So you learn a lot from your students, from their questions or how they feed back to you what they're hearing. It's, it's the, te- the teaching is a beautiful dynamic. In those years of doing master's work and then postdoctoral work, there's the element of, of speaking, especially when you're teaching, there's the element of writing and then there's the element of reading. Hmm. When you think of those three ways of engagement, was there one that helped you learn the most? Because I've heard some professors say that they, they actually learn by teaching, like you said, and then yeah. others, it's just directly reading the material for others. They need to synthesize and actually write it out to have it clamp into their brain. I, I think I needed all three. Okay. I still need all three, you know, and, and even for something like a homily, right? You, you don't just sit down and share your own opinions. You, you, this is the word of God and you yeah. need to take time in prayer. You need to take time looking at commentaries, pondering all of this. Um, and then I find that having done all of that, uh, it's when I sit down and try to put it on paper that all of a sudden the pieces start to fall into place. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all of a, it's all, all one for me. Mm. Was there, when you were doing your PhD, was there one, well, is there classes in a PhD? It depends on the program. Right. So sometimes um, in the university program, there's a, a combination of lectures, teaching yourself and, and dissertation. In the Roman system where I was, the, the coursework was done through the licentiate, after which they said, you need to now stay in Rome for another two years and write up your dissertation. Okay. So you're writing and researching yep. with an advisor and a yep. supervisor, but it, you're not in class at all. Unless I chose to be. So sometimes the okay. the university might be putting on lectures, seminars, visiting uh, scholars and these sorts of things. Then, uh, th- then yeah, it might take some of those talks in. Were there any in that? Pro- How long did it take you to complete your dissertation? It felt like about 20 years. Okay. Um, Emotionally so, 20 years. Yeah. Actually. So, <laughs> two, so I, in total, probably a little over two. Okay. So I was in Rome for the two years and then had to wrap it up while I was doing a whole lot of other things once I got back to Canada. So yes. between two and three years. Were there any hiccups in the journey where you thought, yikes, this is not going to go well, or this is going to get extended, or I, I'm i not getting the, the great feedback that I need to move forward? I could have used probably a little bit more feedback, more timely feedback sometimes from my director. He was a wonderful man, a great, great man. Um, but he was he had a lot of directees, ah. right? And so... So you weren't number one. Weren't, I was not number one by any stretch, you know, yeah. until you're coming down to the wire, then all of a sudden you're number one, let's get this done. So felt, sometimes felt like I was kind of on my own moving this forward a little bit. Um, but by God's grace, more or less stayed on track. So <laughs> Did you ever get headaches from thinking so hard? Oh, sure. Yeah. Like actual headaches, a lot of Tylenol yeah, consumed. Thinking, thinking's a lot of work. You know? <laughs> it <laughs> is a first world problem, but uh, definitely. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning of the conversation, Your Grace, you mentioned the thorough line of a dissertation work going into pastoral work. Mm. With your dissertation, how does how did or how does that kind of impact your pastoral work even up to this day? God's fidelity, right? This is what I want to be communicating again and again and again to people. God has promised. Now, in, in, the, in, the, in the case of the dissertation, it, it ended up revolving around God's promise. And we heard that um, one of the, in one of the great Christological prophecies, you know, Nathan uh, speaking to David, David wanting to build a house for God. And through Nathan, God saying, wait a minute, no, no, no. You don't build a house for me, I build for you. And it will be a, on the basis of one of your descendants, who of course was Christ. So, 
And God was faithful to that promise and built the house which we now call the church. Mm-hmm. So that's that one particular instance. But we're living in a time where we have a crisis of trust in so, so many different levels. And I keep wanting to invite the people back again and again and again to where we can have rock-solid trust, and that's in God's fidelity to his promises. He has promised to build the house. He has promised that on that cornerstone, which is Christ, to save his people, and through Christ has promised always to be with us, never never leaving us alone and encouraging us again and again through Christ to take all of our cares, all of our worries, whatever they are, put them on him, put them on his shoulders, and he'll carry us. And to be able to trust in that, in God's fidelity to that promise brings about a peace and a consolation that we can't get anywhere else, you know? And, 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 it, and it really takes us really to the heart of our identity as God's people, God's children. We have a loving Father revealed in Christ. We can trust him. He will carry us and don't let go of that. So that, that's where I see the connection. And that relates with the, that sacramental promise and mark that is irrevocable. Whatever God, God has is. promised, God will never go back on his word. What what advice would you offer to someone in their undergrad, they're in their early 20s, and they're curious uh, to have an academic career? They're thinking about applying for a master's degree. They're dreaming of a PhD on a practical level. Uh, how would you advise them as someone? I would just say step at a time. Right? So time. follow your heart, follow your instincts. Um, if you're at the undergraduate level, do it well and complete it. Then, then see and dialogue with your professors, right? The professors understand what's needed. Mm. They'll see your gifts. They'll see your areas that need improvement. They'll give you good advice as to whether a further academic development is right for you. Mm. So bring your heart to their insight and see where that leads. And if you go that, the next step would be the master's level. And if it continues to be something that draws you forth, that you can see yourself more and more in a, in a professorial teaching kind of a role, um, again, test it with others. Mm-hmm. But if it seems those pieces are coming together, go for it. It's, it's a, uh, we, we, we need good minds. We need thought that, that develops well. And certainly in the Christian tradition, that, that commitment to the truth the truth that is objective outside of ourselves, the truth that is ultimately a person, Jesus, to study that, to be challenged by that, to be able to share that with others in, in, in intellectual ways that really challenge the mind and challenge the heart. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, calling and a beautiful vocation. So uh, go for it. Well said. Well, your grace, thanks for sharing about that oh, you're season welcome. in your life. It's okay. uh, very interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. Glad to. Um, yeah, well, and everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of Upfront with the Archbishop. We will see you next Tuesday for another episode. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.